And we are continuing our series called uh, Spiritual Bodybuilding. And uh, we've had a couple of lessons so far. The first one, what is spiritual discipline? And, and that's primarily what we're talking about, our spiritual disciplines. We saw that spiritual disciplines are basically those things that we do in our life that involve discipline, desire, and dedication that help us to grow spiritually. So bottom line is, that's what we're talking about, how to grow and mature spiritually and the things that we need to be involved in and do in order for that to happen. Now last week, we talked about what we're going to call our spiritual bodybuilding equipment. If you're a member of a gym or you have a workout routine that you do at your house, a lot of times you will have certain types of equipment that you use. Well, last week we identified five major spiritual bodybuilding pieces of equipment that God uses in our life to help us mature spiritually. Does anybody remember what they were? What, what, what's the very first one we're going to talk about today? The Bible. The Bible. Okay. What, what's the second one that kind of goes along with the Bible? Prayer. All right. What's the third one that kind of goes... And the first three are very obvious. Bible, prayer, and church. Or fellowship with other believers. Church. Then there are two others that are not as common, but are very powerful pieces of equipment God uses in our life. The fourth one is the people that God sends into our life. And I hope everybody realizes that you never cross the path of another human being by accident. God has a purpose and a reason for everything. And by the way, that includes the good ones and the bad ones. Or what we call the bad ones. The difficult ones, maybe that's a better word. But God places people in our life to help us grow and mature spiritually. If you study especially the New Testament, there are verses and verses and verses and principle upon principle that deal with human relationships and how human beings ought to treat each other. That's because throughout life we interact with each other. Okay. Then the fourth one, does anybody remember what the last one was? Our past experiences. The things that we actually go through in our life, in our past experiences. So, these are the five basic pieces of spiritual equipment, so to speak, that God uses in spiritual bodybuilding in our life to help us grow spiritually. So, what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next several weeks, and we'll spend about two weeks on each of these five things. We're going to look at three main things, okay? I want you to look at your study sheet, and uh, these are the three main points, and they'll be the same for each piece of equipment. Number one, what does this do for us? When I first started working out in the ninth grade, and I went to a gym, and we had the trainer for our football team, took us to these pieces of equipment or these free weights, and they said, well, now we're going to be using these dumbbells over here, these 25, 50-pound dumbbells. Well, what does that do for me? What is that going to do for me? One of the machines that I used to use a lot, I, when I worked out, it was mostly free weights, but there were a couple of machines I used a lot. One was a lap bar. And back then, you only had a few pieces of equipment in the gym. You didn't, now they have a lot of tricep. I mean, you've got like ten different machines that you can work your triceps on. We had one. We had a lap bar. That was it. So there are several different things. Well, one of the things I would do when I saw the lap bar and I'd never used it before. I said, well, what is that, and what does it do for me? 
I mean, if I use that piece of equipment, what's it going to do for me? So we're going to look at each of these five things. The first question we want to answer is, what does that do for me? Number two, how do I use it? How do I use it? And then number three, what are the results I can expect to see if I use it properly? So we're going to take all five of these things, the Bible, prayer, church, the people in our lives, and past experiences, and we're going to answer all three of those questions from the Bible. What does it do for us? How do I use it? And what kind of results can I expect to see? Hopefully when we're done, you will have five study sheets that you can use as a resource for every single thing that happens in your life. Or when you identify areas of your spiritual life that need work on, that you're struggling with, that you're having a hard time with, you can go back and pull out any one of these five sheets. And basically like walking into a gym. My triceps are weak. What can I do to build my triceps? Spiritually, I'm struggling with envy. I'm struggling with bitterness. I'm struggling financially. What piece of spiritual equipment can I go to and use to help me in this area of my Christian life? So that's what we're hoping to build, is a spiritual gym full of equipment and exercises that you can use to help grow spiritually. So let's start today with the Bible, spiritual bodybuilding with the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16. The Bible here is talking about the Scripture, and we don't have time, I wish we did, but we don't have time to go through every aspect of what the Bible is and how it works and all that. But let me just give you, from this verse, something very, very simple, and exactly one of the best verses in the Bible, about the Scripture. It says, all Scripture, first of all, it means the whole book. So it's not just parts of it, every single word in the book. All Scripture is God-breathed. Number two, it's a supernatural book. This book does not hold the same place in your library of any other book that you have owned or ever will own. There is no other book like this. It is breathed by God. It is a supernatural book. This book and its content literally has the power and the ability to transform the human heart. There is not another book in existence that can do that. So all Scripture, all of it, is God-breathed. It's supernatural and is useful. So that means it's useful for what? Okay? Here's where we start to answer the first question. What does it do for us? So what is it useful for? All right, let's look at this. Okay? All scriptures God breathed and is useful for. Now we're going to go through this list here. But before we get into this list, let me give you the first thing that the Bible is useful for. This is what it does for us. In John chapter 5, in verse number 39, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He quite often had conversations with the Pharisees. For those of you who know anything about the Bible, you know that the Pharisees were not exactly his closest friends or advocates. They weren't real big fans of Jesus. Well, one of the things that the Pharisees used to do is they would use the Scripture. As a matter of fact, they prided themselves in the fact that they were doctors of the law. They were experts in the Old Testament law the Torah that they used. Jesus said in John 5.39 to the Pharisees and Sadducees, search the Scriptures. Now why would he do that? Because they thought they were such experts. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Jesus said, 
Why don't you just search the Scripture? Because these are the very documents that you claim to use to prove you can have eternal life. Now, how did they use the law to tell people they could have eternal life? What did the Pharisees and Sadducees say you had to do with the law in order to go to heaven? You had to keep it. If you don't do all these things, then you are in danger of hellfire. They taught salvation by works, by keeping the law. But they were very, very strict and adamant about that book. So Jesus, knowing that, said, well, I can use what you consider to be truth to show you that I am who I say I am. Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, Jesus said. You don't believe I'm Jesus. You don't believe I'm the Messiah. You don't believe that I am God in the flesh. Search the Scriptures. The ones that you use to tell people to have eternal life, because those are the same documents that will also tell you that I am who I said I am. I am the Messiah. So what is the very first thing the Bible does for you and I? It tells us who God is and what He's like. If I'm going to grow spiritually, I have to have some picture, some image, some goal for which I'm striving. I know a lot of times when people get involved in bodybuilding, one of the things they'll do is they'll have pictures of bodybuilders or people that have done it. You ever notice all these infomercials for exercise equipment? they got all kinds of ab machines now. I guess they started out with one or two, and people weren't coming up with six packs plus two, so they figured they'd create some other ones. You know, Not really identifying that the issue is not the machine or the exercise. The issue is the exerciser that never uses the machine. That's why it doesn't work. Okay, But have you ever noticed these people that do these ab machines? Have you ever seen anybody advertise on TV one of those ab machines that looks like me? No, you haven't. Well, maybe they look like me just with about 45 pounds of fat trimmed off. No, what do they look like? They look like Mr. Universe or Miss Universe. I mean, six-pack plus two. As if to say, if you buy this, that is what you will look like. Why do they do that? They're giving people incentive. They're giving people a goal to shoot for. If you get it, they don't tell you you got to use it. But if you get it, once we got your money, we don't care if you use it or not. But once you get it, if you use it, that's what you can look like. That's why people do it. That's exactly why people do it. If that's not why people did it, they wouldn't have commercials like that. That's why they do it. You and I need the same thing. I'm a Christian wanting to grow and mature as a Christian. Who is my image? Who is my goal? Who is my example? What is it I'm trying to look like? His name is Jesus Christ. Peter said that Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, the Bible says that God has determined that we should be conformed to the image of His Son. 
Jesus in John chapter 1 and verse 1. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. In John 1 and verse 14, the Bible says, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He's called the Word. And the Word was made flesh. Literally, Jesus is the physical picture of this book. Jesus is the Bible painted into a human life. Every page of it. In the way He acted, in the way He loved people, in the way He treated people, in the purpose of His life, in what He did in dying for our sins. Everything about Jesus is this book. If I want to know what I'm going to look like if I do everything that's in this book, it's Jesus. So the first thing this book does for me is it tells me what I'm supposed to look like. It tells me who God is and what He's like. Now, how does it do that? Okay, Let's look at John, 2 Timothy 3.16. Let's look at these different aspects of what it does for us, and then we're going to stop, and we'll pick up the other ones next week. Okay. First of all, the Bible says, All Scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching. The word teaching here is the Greek word that literally means to instruct or to give principles. So literally, it is, it instructs us in life principles. Now, how many of you know that the Bible doesn't specifically tell us what to do in every single little bitty situation of life? It just doesn't, does it? Okay? It just doesn't. There are a lot of things in our life today that we are confronted with that the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not or thou shalt. If it did, it would sure make things a lot easier, wouldn't it? God, I'm considering a job move. I have two choices. Which one should I take? Thou shalt not take number one. Thou shalt take number two. That would be great, wouldn't it? Unfortunately, God says, I shall not tell you exactly. How do I know then? How do I know what to do? I have to learn the principles of the Bible. And the Bible says we take precept and put it upon precept. Line upon line, when we take the principles of the Bible and we understand who God is and what He's like and how He works, then it gives us guidelines to follow. When you got your job, most jobs have a job description. How many of you are doing things in your job right now that were nowhere specifically outlined in your job description? Every one of us, if we have a job. Why? Because job descriptions are not designed to tell you when to stand up, when to sit down, when to go to the bathroom, when not to go to the bathroom, when you can eat, what you can eat, how you can eat. Job descriptions don't do that. It is a general overall guideline of what your job is supposed to do, be, and accomplish. That's what the Scripture does. It teaches us life principles. It are, they are guidelines to tell me how I am supposed to live my life. And I can apply these principles in areas of my life to give me confidence that I'm doing what God would want me to do. So that's one of the things it does for us. It shows us who God is and what He's like. It teaches us life principles. Number three, the Bible says that Scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking. Now this is kind of an ugly sounding word, but it's very, very necessary. The word rebuking is the Greek word that literally means to convince or convict of the truth using the truth. So literally, what happens here is, the Bible convinces me 
and convicts me. It's a legal term. Using the truth, the Bible says this is right, that is wrong. This is God-like, this is not God-like. After all, what's the Bible doing? It's driving me towards an image of Christ. This is that image, this is not that image. When I am living a way in my life that is not consistent with that image that I'm supposed to be driving towards, the Bible tells me and convinces me in my heart that that's not right. We call that conviction. That's what the word rebuke means. You know, whenever we go through training, wouldn't it be great if training always involved health, wealth, prosperity, happiness, fun, joyful things, and never anything negative? You ever met people that are kind of Pollyanna-ish, and they think that there's nothing ever negative about life? The truth is, if you put a battery in your car with no negative terminal, it don't run. There's positive and negative to everything in life. That's what makes life function. The negative is not always bad. So, we're, we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But that's basically the idea of rebuke. The Bible is what does that. It convinces me of what is right and wrong. Number, the next one, number four. It corrects. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting. Now, this is a great word. This goes hand in hand with the rebuking. The word correction, I'll put it in your notes, literally means to set something right again. How great is that? To set something right again. Now, what does that insinuate if it's setting something right again? It insinuates that it used to be right and I broke it. So I've got to fix it. Have you and I ever broke anything about the image of Christ that was supposed to be in our life to where our life didn't look like that? We all do. The Bible helps to set it right again. It doesn't just teach me this is what you shouldn't do. It says this is how you fix it. That's what the Bible says. Next, training in righteousness. Now, boy, this is a big one. This is kind of the sum of everything. The term here, training in righteousness, uh, literally means discipline with instruction in order to see and know and be God's standard. The term righteousness can literally be translated God's standard of living. In other words, righteousness is God saying this is how the human life is supposed to look. From my point of view, God says. When he looks at us, does he see that? No. When you and I become a Christian, he then looks at us through the blood of Christ and says, for eternal purposes, you're okay. You can come to heaven because you have the righteousness of Christ. For practical purposes in my life, so my light can shine, so I can fulfill the purpose for which God put me here, God says, you're safe legally, you're safe eternally, but in your earthly purpose, we've got a few things we need to work on. So I'm going to train you in righteousness, and I'm going to use the Bible to do it. Okay? When you get married and start having children, one of the things you are going to realize is training of children, Ephesians 6, 4, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Literally, those words mean 
Teaching, instruction, and discipline. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, Whom the Lord loves, He chastens as a son. He disciplines. One of the things you'll find when you start having children, that when little Johnny picks up his glass, throws it across the room, and smashes it against the wall, and says, I want a cookie! That you don't pat little Johnny on the back and say, Little Johnny, it's okay. Daddy will get you a cookie. Because you know what little Johnny's going to do next time he wants a cookie? He's going to bust another glass. Little Johnny one day is going to grow up with those same character traits. He's going to stop throwing glasses. He's going to start throwing knives. And one of them just may end up hitting you one day. (laughs) Training has to involve discipline. Spiritual training is no different. How many of you work out and you've ever woke up on a morning when you were supposed to go work out and you didn't want to go? I woke up a year and a half ago and said, I don't want to go. I ain't been since. (laughs) I mean, it's tough. Let me tell you. Training takes discipline. And sometimes, by the way, I got up this morning, went to find something to wear. Y'all remember about a year or so ago when I lost all that weight? Man, I have to wear everything in my closet. I'm down to about three items. (laughs) You know what that is? That's discipline. I ain't got the money to buy new ones. I got to go lose weight so I can have clothes to wear. God's going to do that in our lives. God's going to bring situations in our lives that say, I know you don't really want to learn this, but I really need you to learn this. And I know it's tough for you to do it on your own. So here's some discipline to kind of push you in that direction. Now, if you'll study God's discipline, you'll notice it's always done in love. It's never done in anger. It's never done in retribution or hatred. He does it because he loves us. Give you an example. By the way, which part of the Godhead does the discipline? Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? Father initiates it. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will reprove the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The word reprove is the same word here, train, or or the word rebuke, convict. He convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's the Holy Spirit that does that in your life. The Father initiates, of course, they're all the same, so it's kind of hard to separate it, but for our purposes, the Father initiates it, the Holy Spirit administers it, okay? And Jesus is the picture of what they're trying to get us to, all right? The Holy Spirit comes into my life, and he says, Bill, you're doing this, it's not right. He convicts of sin, that's what's wrong. He convicts of righteousness, that's what I need to start doing, it's right. And he convicts of judgment, what's going to happen if I don't? Here's what's wrong, Bill. Here's what you ought to be doing, and here's what's going to happen if you don't. He convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what that is. Suppose that a doctor prescribed a medicine for me, and this particular pill, if I took it because of my metabolism and my physiological makeup, would negatively interact with something in my respiratory system and cause me not to be able to breathe. And when you don't breathe, you die. And I'm getting ready to take this pill. And a doctor friend of mine notices that, who has examined me and knows my condition. The former doctor, unfortunately, didn't know my condition. This doctor knows my condition. And he says, Bill, wait. Don't take that pill. That's the wrong pill for you. You need to take this one. Why? Because if you take this one and you don't take the right one, here's what's going to happen. You're going to stop breathing. What if I look at that guy and say, who are you to tell me what to do? 
I'll do whatever I want to do. I run my own life. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Because I have a right to do whatever I want to do. So I take the wrong pill. And at my funeral, my friend comes and stands in front of my casket and says, Here lies Bill, who lived his life the way he wanted to. That sounds kind of stupid, doesn't it? I mean, why would we do that? Why do we do it to the Holy Spirit? When he comes to me and he says, Bill, you're doing this, it's not right. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And if you don't stop, this is what's going to happen to you. Don't tell me what to do. Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm going to live my life any way I want to. You're not going to tell me how to live my life. And then one day we stand before God, and God says, I tried to tell you. And he didn't listen. You see how practical Christianity really is? We're human. Now, don't feel too bad. You know why I know that happens? Because I do it all the time. And God disciplines all the time. We're human. The natural response is, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. The problem is, Bill Crockett doesn't control the universe. God does. And when God tries to train me, He uses conviction, He uses instruction, He uses love, He uses convincing, and He uses the Scripture to teach me those things. There's one more thing real quick, and we've got to stop. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Bible says that the Word of God has the ability to discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. Here's what the Bible does. The Bible is the only book that has the ability, when I read it, to go through the facade of my life straight down into my heart. The thoughts and intents of the heart. Do you know there's only two people right now that know your heart and mine and what's going on inside of them right now? There's only two people that know what you're thinking inside your heart, what you're involved in in your life, the direction you're headed, how you feel about life in general. There's only two people that know exactly what the truth is. And that's you and God. Those are the only two people. And everybody else can be kept completely in the dark if you're good enough at it. But there's one person I cannot keep in the dark about who I really am. And that's God. And He has a spiritual bodybuilding piece of equipment that addresses that. It's called the Bible. It has the ability to discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. What takes a human being from hating God to loving God with all their heart and wanting to fulfill His purpose for their life? There's only one thing. The transforming power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Bible is a powerful piece of spiritual building equipment. Next week, we're going to talk about how do we use it.
every day in our life. Okay, Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the power it has in our life. Lord, use it in our lives to make us more like Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and divide up in our breakout groups. Ladies, you'll be right here. I think we're going to flip you around on the other side. Co-eds over there, married couples over there, and men right over here.